0: I'd like to welcome all of you to worship again today, especially, especially those of you joining us online or in the traditional worship gathering. It's good for us to be able to study the word of God together as we continue to look at Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. And this morning, Jesus is addressing a significant barrier to living and growing in this vision of the good life that he calls to live in the kingdom of God together. And it's really a problem that all of us hate judging others. If I were to do a little survey of the room right now and ask you to raise your hand if you like being judged by someone, I don't think I get too many takers of that, right? I know in my own life when I feel judged by someone else, it makes me just feel bad. It creates distrust and distance in relationship to somebody else, and it's just not a good feeling. And I know that in our popular culture, this is a cry that you can hear in pretty much Every movie and—well, not every, but many movies and songs and TV shows. Don't judge me. Followers of Jesus and people who don't follow Jesus would say amen to Jesus' first three words in this passage. Do not judge. Actually, one of the gyms that I belonged to in my life was back in Virginia. It, it, it captured this slogan in their marketing plan for their gym, Planet Fitness. When you walk in the gym, you see this huge sign. It says, Welcome to the judgment-free zone. And the one thing that you're not supposed to do in this gym is judge anyone else. And if you do, there's this really interesting alarm on the wall that I thought was pretty funny, and I took a picture of it and wanted to show it to you guys. It's called the lunk alarm, and they define a lunk as someone who looks down on somebody else or judges someone, and if they catch you doing that, this alarm will go off. And I remember the first time this happened in the gym, Everyone was just kind of looking down like, was it me? You know? No one wanted to be the lunk because, honestly, judging others is something that we all hate. At the same time, I think we can be honest and admit that judging others is a problem we all have, too. And this isn't a problem that we, we like to admit, that we struggle with judging others. You don't hear many testimonies in a church service begin with, Hi, my name is Corey Paxton, and I'm a judgeaholic. Because we don't want to be the lunk, right? Judging others is like one of the worst sins in our culture. And it's not something we like to own up to. But I think it's a problem that we all have in our hearts. Human beings have a natural tendency to judge others or tear others down, if not actually in the words that we say in our minds and our hearts. And if you don't believe me, I think you could just look on Facebook. Let me just say a couple of popular culture names and see if you've heard anything judgmental about either of these people. Uh, Christian Ponder. Anybody heard of him before? Okay, Christian Ponder, if you don't know who Christian Ponder is, he's the quarterback of the Minnesota Vikings, and they're having a hard year. You don't have to hear too many kind things being said of him uh, around Minnesota right now, not very many nice things. And people move from kind of evaluating whether or not the team's going well to kind of tearing people down and condemning and, and judging him. And then another name that I think you could probably recognize is Miley Cyrus. There's been a a lot written on Facebook and Twitter and different articles about Miley Cyrus these days. And, you know, it's really easy to go from evaluating whether or not you agree with her behavior or you disagree with her lifestyle to judging and condemning. And you see that all over the blogospheres and the Twitter universe and Facebook. Judging others is everywhere. Even though it's a problem that we all hate, it's a problem we have in our culture And in our personal lives, I I think we can be honest that this is a problem we have there too. That there's probably a name of someone in your life that as soon as you say that name, kind of just brings something up inside of you. You struggle with having judgmental thoughts or feelings about that person. We just have this tendency to put ourselves above other people and tear them down. And Jesus is diagnosing this problem in the human heart. Because he knows the problem of judging others hurts our lives, and it hurts our relationships. It feels others It feels terrible to be judged by others, and it feels terrible, really, to judge others when we're honest about it. And Jesus wants us to break free from this vicious cycle. He wants to name it and call it out, that when we judge others, we create distance and distrust, and disconnection in our relationships. And it it really creates this vicious vicious cycle that comes back to us. When he says, do not judge, or you too will be judged, for the measure you use will be measured back to you. Doesn't this happen? As soon as we have a problem with somebody in our relationships, and we make a judgment against them, that cycle just begins. Distrust, disconnection, distance. And before too long, someone you were close with, you are miles apart from them even if you're in the same room. And that's a sad, painful thing that Jesus wants to diagnose and help us name and, and call it out so we can break free from that cycle. And that cycle not only happens in our close relationships or our friendships at school or our marriages or our workplaces, it happens in organizations. There's a great book that was written by an author named Patrick Lencioni that's been really helpful to our church staff in thinking about how we can create a healthy environment here in our church workplace and for our our church family, it's called the five dysfunctions of a team. And he has a pyramid that—and you don't have to look at the words on this pyramid. I just put it up that you would see five dysfunctions indicate no safety. At the bottom of this pyramid that analyzes how organizations become unhealthy is absence of trust. And when there's a judgmental spirit present in an organization, not only do relationships suffer, but results suffer. And so to bring health and revitalization to any kind of organization, it starts at the bottom level of rebuilding trust, of working through whatever needs to be worked through, of giving each other permission to make mistakes and clarifying expectations. Because judging others, it really causes a lot of pain, not only in our lives, but our organizations. And in the church, I think we need to be honest that we have a judgment perception problem in our culture. There's a book, another book that was written recently that I'd recommend everybody reads called Unchristian. And it's a survey of the beliefs and attitudes of 13 to 30 year olds in our culture and their perception of Christianity. And one of the things that they perceive from the church is that the church is judgmental. And whether this is fair or not, or right or not, it keeps many young people away from hearing the good news of salvation and the life change that Jesus can bring because of a judgmental spirit that they experience for many Christians. And so if this is a problem in our lives, in our personal lives, in our relationships, if it's a problem in our organizations, it's a problem in our churches in this country, how can we break free from it? Fortunately, Jesus has come to show us a different way, a better way to deal with our problems in relationship to one another. And I think this passage that we're going to be looking at this morning, that sinks deeply into our minds and our hearts. It can change the way that we relate to one another. It's a better way. And fortunately, Jesus has a sense of humor about it. I want us to read this little section again, and then we're going to do a little experiment together. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 3, Jesus says this, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I love this illustration because it really gets at the heart of our problems and helps us to laugh at ourselves. I can't teach on this illustration without us acting it out together. So what I'd like for you guys to do is to take your bulletin, if you have one, and roll it up into a little plank and just try to find the speck in your neighbor's eye with a plank sticking out of your own. Just even a bulletin, okay? Jesus was a carpenter, and he, you know, in his, in his life before his teaching ministry, and sometimes I wonder if he came up with this image in the carpentry shop one day. And just thinking how funny it is when we try to find the speck in each other's eye with the plank sticking out of our own. It's ridiculous, right? It's really difficult. It's impossible to do that. And he's calling out this natural human tendency to see other people's sins and other people's problems as a bigger deal than our own, right? Don't we do that? Especially when we get in conflicts or we have disagreements or we have problems in our relationships. It's so easy for us to blame and point our our finger and condemn and tear down someone else when all the while we have this plank sticking out of our eye. And if we're going to break free from this judgment cycle, it's going to be having, start with having the humility to take the, own, our, own our plank of having the humility to look at our own sin and see how we're contributing to the problems that we experience. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells us this story. I think that helps us to see that this problem of judgment really starts in our relationship with God. He tells the story of two men that go to a first-century temple to pray. And here's what the story says in Luke chapter 18. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Both of these men had problems in their relationship with God and each other. One man came clean before God and asked for mercy and confessed his sins. He took responsibility for his own wrongdoing, for his part in the problem. And he came close to God that day. And I bet when he came, went home, he came closer to other people that he was in relationship with. Because when we experience mercy from God, when we confess our sins and have humility before other people, that brings us closer to other people too. It begins to reverse this cycle of judgment and help us break out of it in relationship with each other. When we take responsibility for our own, wrongdoing and have a humble attitude towards other people. But the other man, the man who was doing so many good things, he had a problem too, but he didn't recognize it. He had this big plank sticking out of his eye, this plank of pride that was pushing him far away from people in his life and from God. And he missed out. He went home far from God. And that was a sad thing for him. And he probably didn't even know that that was his reality. God is calling us to have the humility in our hearts and inviting us to be the kinds of people that look at our own wrongdoing first rather than compare ourselves to others and just point out the wrongdoing in their lives. The followers of Christ are supposed to be people that lead the way in humility. And trusting God is the one judge of humankind. In James chapter 4, he says it really clearly, just like this. He says, There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who was able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? I wonder how many of our marriages and our friendships, our organizations, could experience healing by just practicing this one command from Jesus and not even getting it right all the time, but having the humility to look at ourselves first and take responsibility for our part in the problem of taking the plank out of our eye in humility with one another. And I wonder, as a church, how the world would respond to the good news of saving grace in Jesus Christ if we took our plank out of our eye and stopped judging the world around us that hasn't even chosen to follow Jesus. I heard a story a few years ago in a book called Blue Like Jazz by author Donald Miller, and he shares about this experience that he had during college. And like most college campuses in our country, Christians are in the minority. And so they were discussing how they could make an impact on their campus for Christ in the midst of a really wild week at this very secular school in Oregon. And they were discussing different things they could do, and they came to a pretty radical experiment. that They, they hadn't heard anyone do this before, but they were going to try it. And this was their idea. They were going to set up a confession booth right in the middle of the campus where all the parties were going on, like on the weekend. And they were going to take turns dressing up in monk outfits. Like, seriously, they did this. And they sat in the confession booth, and they were going to have confession. But here's the twist. Rather than going out and just trying to get people to come in to do confession, they decided that they would take responsibility for the ways they had fallen short as far as of Jesus on campus, the ways they had judged people who hadn't even chosen to follow Jesus. And so as people began to come in to the confession booth, I wanted to read you the story of of the first encounter they had with somebody. It goes like this. This guy comes in named Jake, and he says, What's up, man? And he had a smile on his face and just kind of joking around. He said, So what is this? I'm supposed to tell you all the juicy gossip I did at the parties this weekend, right? And Donald said, No. Okay, then. Well, then, what's the game? He asked. It's not really a game. It's more of a confession thing. You want me to confess my sins, right? No, that's not what we're doing today. Well, what's the deal, man? What's up with your monk outfit? Well, we're, we're a group of Christians here on campus, you know, and he said, I see This is a strange place for Christians to be, but I'm listening. Thanks. He was patient and grac- gracious. Anyway, there's a group, a few of us, that were thinking about the way Christians have sort of wronged people over time, you know, the Crusades and all that stuff. Well, I doubt you personally were involved in any of that. No, I wasn't. But the thing is, we're followers of Jesus, and we believe that he's God, and he came to love and save the world from sin, and we haven't done a really good job of representing that. It can be really hard as a Christian sometimes. I see, Jake said. So this group of us on campus wanted to confess to you. You're confessing to me? Jake said with a laugh. Yeah, we're confessing to you. I mean, I'm confessing to you. You're serious? His laugh turned into a straight face. Well, there's a lot. I'll keep it short. Jesus said to feed the poor and heal the sick. I've never really done much about that. Jesus said to love those who persecute me. I tend to lash out, especially if I feel threatened. You know, if my ego gets threatened, I have a really hard time with that. I know it's wrong, and I know a lot of people won't listen to the words of Jesus because of people like me who know him, and we carry our agendas into conversations rather than just relaying the message of Christ that he wanted us to get across. There's a lot more, you know. Jake looked at him and said, it's all right, man. His eyes started to water. Well, I said, clearing my throat, I'm sorry for all that. And Jake said, I forgive you. And he meant it. I told him thanks. He sat there and looked at the floor, and there was a fire, and candle burning, and he just looked up and said, it's really cool what you guys are doing. A lot of people need to hear this. It's amazing that when we have humility, when we take the plank out of our eye in relationship to other people, it's like a magnet to the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. But when we have a judgmental spirit in relationship to other people, it's just repellent for people to Jesus Christ. I know in our personal lives, this can get even more difficult. It's really hard to see the plank that's in our eye in our everyday relationships. I know I learned this lesson a really hard way when I was 23, and this is the first time I think I really realized I had a plank in my eye. My sister uh, was in, really struggling with the eating disorder. It was actually killing her. And it was a really difficult time for my family, and I was the good big brother, and so I thought I knew her answer. I, she wasn't eating, so she needed to eat. And if she would just follow the solutions that we gave her, then she'd get better. I didn't realize at that time that the problems were a lot deeper than that. It wasn't until she had the courage to tell me later how she felt that what was really happening is I had this big plank in my eye with the word written on it the right answer that was just pushing her farther and farther away and she was feeling more and more ashamed and guilty for the struggle that she had rather than what my desire was was to help her and it wasn't until she decided she wanted to get help and she got involved with a Christian eating disorder clinic and she was there for a long time, that God brought healing to her soul. And I still remember when my family was invited to be a part of that process, and we were invited to lay our planks down and listen to the hurts and the pains my sister had and how we contributed to her problem. And it was such a healing moment for our family, a time where we were able to show love and forgiveness to one another. And I'm so thankful that I'm going to get to see my sister this Christmas, and she's going to have her first baby. That The Lord has brought so much healing into her life. But I learned a hard lesson about the plank that day. And I wonder how often we do that in relationship to each other. We push each other away with this plank of pride in our eye. And that really leads us to the next part of the image that Jesus is trying to get across, this part about the speck, that Jesus acknowledges that we have specks in our eyes, painful things in our lives, problems that we see in relationship to one another that maybe I don't see in my own life. And in Christian community, we're called to care about each other's growth. Growth in holiness, growth in devotion to the Lord, growth in overcoming sin. But we're never going to overcome those things in our life if we're poking around in each other's eyes. I think this image of a speck is really intentional. A speck is painful, and it's small, and it takes a lot of gentleness and care and compassion to get a speck out of somebody's eye. I believe Jesus has given us a beautiful picture of how we're called to help each other grow when we have a problem with one another. Beyond just looking at how we contribute to the problem, when we notice problems in each other's eyes, it takes a lot of gentleness and compassion and love to help someone else grow. It's just like having a speck in their eye to work through really relationally sensitive issues. Writing to one of the first churches in Galatians, Paul says this to the church He says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Can you imagine how revolutionary it would be if we practiced the spirit of gentleness in our relationships? We received that grace and mercy from the Lord who loves us and wants to help us grow. And we, in turn, shared that with those close to us our husbands and wives, our friends, our family that we are committed to each other's growth, but we are committed to each other's growth in the gentle spirit of Jesus that speaks the truth in love, calling us to not settle for the visions of life that are so far beneath his kingdom. That's always what the church is called to be, the hospital for sinners, a place of grace and growth together. And I don't know about you, but as we've been studying the words of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, I've been inspired I've been challenged. My mind has been stretched because this is not the way that we normally live in relationship to each other. It brings us to our knees. The vision that Jesus is calling us to in the good life, in his way, is something that we are not meant to do on our own. We need each other's help. And the church is meant to be a place that helps each other grow into the people that God calls us to be by his Spirit. A place where we hear the good news afresh that the one person who has the power to judge us, that we will stand before one day to give an account of our life. He is the one that has come to save us, to show us his love and his grace, and to rescue us from the power of sin and death in this world, and to give us the same kind of love for one another. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you've come to give us your grace, that even when we rebelled away from you, that you didn't give up on us, that you loved us. And Lord, those of us who are coming in here today feeling beaten up from the empty promises of the world and ways they've been judged by those around them, Lord, I pray that they would experience the comfort of your grace today, that they would hear your voice calling to them, that you love them and desire to show them mercy and salvation through your son, Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you would change our hearts, that the spirit of gentleness, of speaking the truth and love with one another, of seeking the best for each other in growth in God's kingdom, that that would just pervade our church and our relationships, that we would allow people to get close enough to our hearts to be vulnerable and speak the truth in love, so that we could grow into the people that only we can be through your Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.